want to talk to you today. There was a Sunday school teacher who was teaching her class faithfully of five and six-year-olds. And uh, she just was talking to them about the Ten Commandments. And she just expounded to her to them about explaining the commandment to honor their mother and their father. And she just said to them, she said, Is there a, do you think there's a commandment that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? And a little boy, a quick as could be, answered and said, Thou shall not kill. <laughs> so um, I thought it was a good response. Uh, but uh, as cheeky as he might have been with that response, uh, the unfortunate truth behind his answer is, is that does happen in our world today, doesn't it? Families are so dysfunctional, not only do they argue and fight, but it gets to the point of such domestic violence that people die within families. And that's so sad, uh, you know, uh, which is tragic, isn't it, what happens? Um, that we, the very ones that we should love and embrace is the ones that we um, end up taking out. Um, I was um, contemplating this and I was just thinking about the world we live in and I just thought, just for a moment today, imagine a world that um, didn't need, uh, you know, had families that thrived all the time, every family thrived. Just imagine a world where maybe the armed forces was not necessary uh, where even police uh, didn't have to patrol the streets. We didn't need police. Imagine a world where um, um, children actually honoured their parents and, and, uh, and you didn't have to lock your house or your car because there was no stealing in the world. Uh, wouldn't, would you like to live in a world like that? Yeah, I would. And look, you might answer my question of, I'd love to live in a world like that, saying, but James, you're dreaming and you're true. That's true. It'll never happen, unfortunately. Uh, the, um, well, we, I shouldn't say that, but realistically, uh, probably not. Because people have give, been given their own choices in life, and people make some pretty bad choices, don't they, uh, about life. And, and so a world like that doesn't happen. But um, when we look at the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament uh, book of Exodus, it really addresses uh, many of the, the everyday questions that we ask. And some of the everyday questions we ask are things like, you know, do I really need to honor my parents? They're, s they're so, they're not nice people. Or, or maybe, you know, why am I not content with what I have? Or, or maybe um, some of these thoughts is, how can I make my uh, relationships better? How can I do relationships with people better? Um, uh, does God really want me to worship Him every day? I don't know, there, there, there may be these type of questions and we don't necessarily think about the Ten Commandments. We don't wake up and start thinking about the, naturally about the Ten Commandments, understandably. But the truth is, is there is an underlying, there are an underlying principle that uh, is a foundation to the very civilization. Anything good about the civilization across this world comes back to these simple Ten Laws or principles that God has placed. And I want to just talk to us about that today. Uh, because I think people sometimes, I'm not quite sure, because you can ask the question, what has the Ten Commandments got to do with me today? Good question. And you might say, well, they're principles to live our lives by. And maybe at the other end of the spectrum, you're saying, well, I'm really not quite sure. And if you're saying, I'm really not quite sure, thanks for being honest. Uh, because I, I think that we can answer that question. Um, because someone once said, are the Ten Commandments just the Ten Suggestions? Well, no, they're not. Are they, they just 10 criteria that if I get 6 out of 10, I pass the test? I get to heaven? Well, not, not really. Um, it takes a little bit more than that just as well. So, so there can be different answers because I think 
the Ten Commandments had generally been abandoned by the world and maybe just a little bit neglected by his church. And so we want to talk about that today. Can we read, can we read them today? Is that okay? Read the Ten Commandments. They're found in two places, Exodus, a, book, a second book of the Old Testament, and the, another book called uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What is that? That's the fifth or sixth book. So um, uh, Exodus has quite a, a 17 verses of it. And so I'd like to read it because the truth is you probably haven't read the Ten Commandments in the last 24 hours. Does that be true? Mm, okay. Probably the last 24 years. No, no, I won't say that. Because uh, we think we know them, and, and you probably do know many of them. Um, some context before we read them is that the commandments were given to Moses. Moses didn't write them. They were revealed to Moses by God himself on Mount Sinai. Uh, it was when the children of Israel had been in slavery. They came out of slavery. Uh, through God sent Moses. He, del- he was the, the deliverer, so to speak. And they're coming now about to wander. Little do they know for 40 years through the desert before they come into the nation of Israel, where they firmly were, then they finally arrived. But it took 40 years to get there. And before um, God gave the Ten Commandments, He said some things, and then He gave them the Ten Commandments after. But notice it was after they came out of slavery. So they were kept in a uh, very uh, a golden chest uh, with angels on the top, and it was called the Ark of the Covenant. And, um, and Harrison Ford wasn't there at the time. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark were not there. It was a movie, uh, as, as much as some of it is true, not <laughs> just a movie. Uh, and they settled, and eventually they took that, that Ark of the Covenant, and they put it in the temple in Jerusalem. And hundreds of years it was there, and then eventually it was stolen or destroyed or whatever as people came and attacked Jerusalem. So can we read it? Exodus chapter 21 to 17. Um, I'm going to read it. I'll just come over here. Uh, Is that cool? Let's read it. It says, Exodus 20, And God spoke all these words. And I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreign residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear or give false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or, ma- or his male or female servant or his ox or donkey. I'm really doing well with that one. I haven't desired my neighbor's ox or donkey lately. How about you? And then it finishes, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I have seen a couple of cars in my neighborhood I wouldn't mind having, but you know, ox or donkey, definitely not. Um, so my question, another question I want to ask, how do we apply and interpret the Ten Commandments uh, today? 
And so I want to dive straight into three areas or three lenses or looking glasses that I think you need to look through when you look at the Ten Commandments. I believe these three things you need to have in mind when you read the Ten Commandments because they highlight the incredible principle and power behind what God wrote on those tablets uh, so many thousands of years ago, gave them to Moses and Moses thus gave them to the children of Israel. Powerful principles. And so the first, the Ten Commandments, the first thing today um, is to be viewed. It's a word that we all know, but a word that I'm, I'm hesitant to use sometimes because I think it can become a cliche in the Christian circles. But it's a word that is incredibly important and powerful. And I want to give some definitions to this today. The Ten Commandments need to be viewed through the lens of grace. Okay, through the lens of grace. And I'll explain that. Before any of the Ten Commandments were written on the stone tablets that God gave to Moses, he said something very important in verse 2 of what we just read. And verse 2 says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And when he had said that, please see, before God issued any of the commandments, he, he gives us, he says, verse 2. The first thing God says is, Israel, I'm already your God. I love you. I have chosen you. That's what he was saying. I brought you out of slavery. Before he ever gave them anything to live by, he told them what he thought of them. Now, folks, some context here. Israel has already been under the tyranny and slavery of Egypt for 400 years. There's no way they can save themselves because if they could, they would old by now, but they hadn't. So what does God do? God takes the initiative. He sends Moses to, to be the deliverer. So Moses follows God's instructions. They're released from slavery out of Egypt. Ultimately, it's, ultimately, there's a thing called the Passover lamb. When they come out of Egypt that first night, they had a Passover feast or just a, a feast. They call it Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they um, sacrificed the lamb. They ate parts of the lamb. And, um, and there's a whole story to that. But let me just tell you, the, the Passover lamb is an incredible type or, or, or symbol of what was to come, and that was to come Jesus Christ became that Passover lamb for us. He died on the cross to take our sin. So Israel is delivered from death and enslavement, and all that points to Jesus, and Jesus is now the deliverer like Moses was to the Jewish nation. Uh, Jesus is to the world today, and he's going to and he can save us by the virtue of his death upon the cross. He is the, he's going to save you from death and sin and judgment. And judgment that brings, that brings us, and w when we can be saved from that, it brings us into a new future. Just as the Jewish people were brought into a new future or into the promised land. So you can see now, this is my point. God, just like the Old Testament, God ch chooses them and loves them and then shows them how to behave and so to how to do life. It's God who loves us and chooses us and sacrifices himself for us. And then in the light of that, the action of grace, that's the action of grace, we then get on and follow Jesus. And so can you see that God doesn't want us to stand, start to engage with the Ten Commandments without being reminded of his grace first. His grace comes because God's, always, God's grace always precedes our good behavior. His grace always precedes our good behavior. Um, Paul said this, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he said this in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates, come on, God demonstrates His love towards who? Towards us. That while we were, we were still sinners, Christ 
died for us. While I never acknowledged him, before I ever thought about him, he died for me. And up to the point when I committed my life to Christ at 13, I'd only ever given God a little bit of lip service. But then up to that point, when I come to a living relationship and acknowledge Jesus, and he, came, and he became my Lord and my personal Savior, then that's when it really became true. And that's when that incredible understanding that he demonstrates his love before, for 13 years, he loved me. But it took 13 years for me to love him back and receive him into my life. So we've got to understand, and it's reflected in the Old Testament, because in that chapter 17 of Exodus, the first thing God says before He gives them the commandments, before He gives them the things that will get for them to do, He shows them. He says, you know what? I brought you out of slavery before I ever gave you any commandment. How would you be if God, when they're in Egypt, He says, right, do these 10 things and I'll let you out. He didn't say that. He said, come on, Moses, get in there. Get them delivered, get them out of Egypt, and when, they're in the, and when we're in the desert, we'll have a bit of a chat about the next step. How would it be if, if God said to you, before you ever respond to Christ, before you ever make Him your Lord and Savior, I, you've got to do 10 things? It doesn't fit, folks. Because if our faith is a, is a, is a works-based faith, we're, you know, we're never going to live up to the standard. I'm just thankful there's a loving Father that says, you know, my love and grace I want to put, you, put upon you before you ever respond to me. And that's different to what the world says to you and me. Because the world says, you know, when you're good enough, you'll get the lollies. If you behave yourself this year, you get the present. Now, I understand parenting, and that sometimes is necessary. But, um, but the reality is God never does that. He gives us the lollies. He gives us the best. He shows us His love. And out of that love, we can be grateful and we respond in obedience to Him then. So this is important because people wrongly believe that while the New Testament and Jesus highlights the theme of grace, Moses and the Old Testament are all about the law, all about the rules. And people can think that God's loving in the New Testament, but you didn't want to know God in the Old Testament. He was a nasty harsh God in the Old Testament. But somewhere about, you know, about 2,000 years ago, God got really happy and really good, and thus the New Testament. No, God has been good and happy from the start. We sing about it this morning. He's faithful. He's never changes. So, and, and, and the very fact that He brought the children of Israel out of slavery is an indication of His incredible grace, which is reflected now through Jesus Christ and His grace to us, before we ever responded to Him, He, he showed us His love. So the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, we see the grace came before our obedience to God. In the New Testament, we see exactly the same thing. Both Old and New Testaments make it clear that our good deeds and our moral living is preceded by God's good grace towards us. So the Ten Commandments are not here is what you have to do to be saved and loved by God. The Ten Commandments are now that you have been saved by the grace of God and this is how we should live. Can you see the difference? You've been saved by the grace of God. Receive that grace. Move closer to Him. And this is how He wants us to live. You know, to be viewed through the lens of grace. That's what the Ten Commandments need to be. Here's the second I uh, thought this morning about the Ten Commandments. The, the Ten Commandments need to be viewed through the lens 
of a word that sometimes we're reluctant to use because it means many different things, but it's the lens of freedom, okay? Um, and sometimes, to give context to this thought, the sound of the words like law and rules and do's and don'ts, can we, we can interpret that or people can think that God is just a killjoy and He wants to make everything that's what you think is fun um, not possible. He doesn't want you to do anything that's really enjoyable in life. And, and that is so far from the truth. That's not the truth. I want to explain why that is because the, the, the English language sometimes does us a disservice in interpreting the Hebrew words because we've interpreted the word, uh, uh, the word law in the Hebrew means Torah, which is, uh, uh, anyway, it's, it's the word Torah. And it, and it, and it, and we call it law, but the truth is, with a little bit more explanation, it means this is, it means to be led along a path by an expert guide. Or, or even this, the instruction good parents would give to their children. So God, God wants us to live under His instructions and guidance because it gives us great freedom. But here's the point. Living in freedom does not mean doing whatever I want because we could or realize there are some choices that are detrimental and destructive that we can make. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? And sometimes we think if I make that choice to do that, that I have true freedom, but it actually is not freedom that is helpful. It can be freedom that is destructive. Freedom only lasts if we embrace a certain set of restraints. Now, you think, what? What's this Christian faith about restraints? Now, now, let me explain it. A fish is free to swim wherever it wants in the ocean. Would you agree? And as long as that fish swims within that ocean, it's free. It's alive. You take the fish out. You imagine a little fish one day said, I want to be free. He jumps out of the water, lands on the beach of a sandy beach, and he says, I'm free, I'm free. And for about five minutes, he's free, and then he's dead. Why is he dead? Because he's, he's hopped outside of the restraints that it was, he was created for. And it's, he's free to swim wherever he wants as long as he embraces the constraints that are placed on his, on his creation. And it's been, he's been created to live in water. Same is true for you and me. We've been created to live in air. <laughs> as simple as illustration as it is. And you take air away and we are dead. But, you know, God's created us now taking it back to our spiritual, uh, our spiritual lives. Freedom is not the capacity to do whatever we choose because if we think... When we think about it, sometimes choices enslave us. And we need to live within the framework, and within, the, in the, within the things that God has created us for us to flourish. And the Ten Commandments certainly offer us that opportunity to flourish. And you say, no, they don't. They take away some of our rights. No, they don't. They give you, give you incredible freedom. And that you can live and breathe and have your being within the restraints of the truth that helps you to live life. You're not, you're not convinced yet? See, sometimes we can make choices that enslave us. Come on, example, you're free to work seven days a week, 18 hours a day, and have a couple hours sleep. If you want to do that, uh, don't, you know, if you don't exercise some constraints in your work ethics, you'll become a what? Workaholic. Is that true? You're not convinced. You're free to drink what you want, but if you don't embrace some constraints, you'll become a alcoholic. And we could go on and on and on. You give me something that, you know, whatever. 
See, freedom does not mean you're free to do what you want, but freedom is better defined as the power to become what I was made to be. If I'm a fish, I was made to swim in the water. If I'm a person, I was made to walk on land and breathe air. And I'm free in that sense. If, you know, if you're a Christian, God's given you, as a humanity, God gave us this set of wonderful things called His principles, instructions, and guidance. And as we live within the framework of this 10, uh, you know, uh, we live within that framework, it's amazing how free and blessed our lives are. It's the best version of ourselves. We are free not merely because we can choose. Please listen, we're not free merely because we can choose. We can choose because God gives us a free will. But only when we choose well. Because if you and I choose poorly, then we actually become enslaved to the poor choice and actually lose our true freedom, which is the direct opposite of what we really wanted in the first place. Is this making sense today, church? <laughs> mm-hmm. The Ten Commandments were not given. Go back to the Jewish people. The Ten Commandments were not given to the Jews the Jews to take them back into slavery. They came out of slavery. They're in the desert. They're given the Ten Commandments after God says, I love you and I've brought you out of slavery and I've got a future and I hope for you. He doesn't want them to go back into slavery. The Ten Commandments were not back into slavery. It was by keeping God's commandments that actually helped people free, uh, freed people to stay free. I'll say that again. It's actually helping the Ten Commandments uh, to help freed people to stay free. Do you, do you know, I love Will, uh, Shane, Shane Willow's thought on this. He says, uh, he, talks about, um, he talks about when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and, uh, and before they kind of go into the desert, God lays down the Ten Commandments after he's told them he loves them. And um, can you imagine a people who have lived, who have lived, worked seven days a week, probably 16 hours a day making bricks for Pharaoh's structures. And then God says to them, just wait a sec, I want you to have a day off. Is that a good rule? Yeah. Just imagine an a, a, a group of slaves, of Jewish people have come out of slavery where their wives were raped most weeks of their lives. Um, their children were, um, you know, the, the young daughters were raped by the, by the Egyptians. Just imagine when they get this law that says, you know, you should not commit adultery. Do you think they're excited? Yeah. That's a good law. <laughs> that my, my wife won't be raped. My daughters won't be raped. That's a good thing. And so we've got to see that there was something incredibly good that God was giving freedom to the Jewish people. See, that's why repeatedly when God's giving laws and instructions, He says things like this. He says, so that it may go well with you. You often see He gives a commandment and He says, so that it may go well with you. And or He might say, so that you may live long in the land. You ever read that one? There's a proverb that says, obey your mother and father so you may live long in the land. You know why? So parents don't kill you. Um, but, you know, the jokes aside, the truth is, God always, why does He do this? Because He doesn't want you to become enslaved again. And every time God is giving you a command, the heartbeat behind it is so you can be free. But we, if we say, well, God, I don't like your commands. I'll just live my way. Well, how do, see how that, I've tried that. It doesn't work. <laughs> Third thing. Ten Commandments are to be viewed through the lens of something else. And once again, this something else can be misconstrued, but you've got to understand it. I call it the good life. Jesus called it the abundant life. The, the, the Ten Commandments are to be viewed through the lens of the abundant life. And it's, it was, uh, I was walking through Woolworths the other day, and 
and there's one aisle right at the start of the aisle at the Kinkora Mall, there's a magazine rack. And I was looking through there because I, I, uh, I've, I've only bought one of these magazines. It's called Running. It's a running magazine. Um, uh, but this, I, I noticed there's a lot of versions of the good life right there in front of you. How to eat healthy, um, how to dress really well, how to have good relationships, how to exercise, a lot of magazine on exercise. And so these are all versions of the world's version of how you can have a really abundant life. And, and, and some of them, they're good magazines. Nothing particularly wrong with them. They're, they're quite healthy. They can be quite, quite um, you know, informative for you. But I want to tell you, the Ten Commandments are good for you and me because they give us God's version of what the good life really looks like, the abundant life really looks like. Um, some context. The commandments that were written on the tablets of stone, were, there was two of them which is a good reminder for us of how the Ten Commandments were actually written. Because four commandments, the first four teach us how to relate to God. Serve Him only. Don't make any images of idols. Don't misuse His name. Honor the Sabbath day. So all those speak to us about the relationship with God. The next six speak to us about a relationship with each other. Honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't betray your spouse. Don't steal. Don't be a false witness. And don't want, don't want what others have got particularly your neighbors. So the twofold structure of the Ten Commandments are simply this, love God, love your neighbor, okay? Remember we're talking about here, we're talking about uh, this abundant life. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to give you some context. So 1,500 uh, to 1,600 years ago, a teacher of the law came up to Jesus when he was on the earth and said to him, Jesus, give us um, give us one commandment that we can live our life by. I mean, Jesus had 614 to choose from, but Jesus says, no, I won't give you one commandment. I'll do better than that. I'll give you two commandments. And then he said this in Matthew 22. He said this. Um, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your what? Mind. And then he said this. Uh, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And, and then he said, in these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So we see Jesus that these two commandments are just like what God had said back on Mount Sinai with Moses when he delivered 10 to Moses. And so reinforcing was written down. Here are the four commandments on how to love God. And there's six commandments on how to love people. Summarizing them, love God, love people. You might notice to my, my left, you're right, that there's a vision statement on our little sign here. Have you ever read that? Love God, love people. Have you noticed it? Now, the last one is love life. And, you know, you might think, well, what does that mean? Well, this is what it means. Now that, that out, of, out of this, to love God and love people, I would want to say to you, Jesus said, come on. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's amazing when you get those two things happening in your life. Well, according to my framework work and my reference, God's reference, it's amazing how life is just goes so much better. It's amazing how much you can love that. Uh, not love life in loving your life better than anything else. I'm not saying that. No, I'm just talking about it's amazing how life goes better. There used to be an ad Many years ago, life goes better with Coke. I've worked out that it doesn't. Mind you, it's a real temptation sometimes to have one because uh, it's got a, such a sugary flavor. You know, you too can have 15 teaspoons of Coke, uh, 
teaspoons of sugar in one mouthful. But the reality is it's not Coke, it's life does really go better when you just learn to love God and love. There's a twofold parts of the, uh, um, of the Ten Commandments, love God and love people. Now, we need, um, we need both because it saves us. We need to love God, we need to love people because it saves us from a couple uh, theological term- terminology I want to explain to you because both will save us from this. Number one, it saves us from religious legalism. Do you know what religious legalism is? Religious legalism was, the example would be the Pharisees in Jesus' day. That's why Jesus always was confronting them. Because all they ever wanted, they, they said, oh, we love God, we love God. But they were so hard on other people. If they, other people didn't live up to God's rules and, and standards and laws, man, they'd come down on them nasty. So you can pre- appreciate religious legalism still happens today. People love God. They'll defend it with all their life. But when it comes to other people, they're hard and they're harsh. And they just say, well, if you're not, you, you do that and I'm going to eat you alive. I'm gonna, God's going to get you. Now, the, the, the thought behind it isn't wrong, just the delivery is so wrong. So we, we, when we love God it, it could, um, and then love people, I want, to un- I want you to understand, but the, the religious legalism of today and back in Jesus' day was people who were so strict. I love God, but I'm going to make sure everybody else knows it. I'm going to be hard. When, treating, when dealing with them, uh, if they have any sin in their life, we're going to tell them about it. Uh, it's not that we should it, but there's a way to deliver it. Now, please understand this. Religious people uh, love God, but they hold on to these first four commandments as if nothing else matters. Uh, and, and I think God says, I don't want Christians to be that way. Okay, The truth is, not just enough to love God. Let's get the other part in there as well in our life, because... Because church is going to finish in about 10 or 15 minutes. And I have to talk to other people in the foyer and have to go home to my family and have to communicate with them, surprised. And then I have to go to work and I have to figure out how to get along with other people at work who sometimes aren't as nice as all the people, you people. So, so God's saying, well, let me give you six more commandments on how to do relationships better. That's what he's saying. So if, if we only hold on to the first four, we turn into mean religious people and no one wants to serve our God. But if we only hold on to the six, the six commandments, the, the, the second six, we have what we call liberal secularism. Don't be disturbed by that big terminology. That's just, want, that's just a term where people just want to love everybody. Let's just love everybody and have no frames of reference on how to love everybody but that's but let's just love everybody well that didn't go down so well in the 70s you know there was the 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 the, um freedom of love movement um and uh and unfortunately everybody was committing adultery with everybody else how did that didn't go so well um so there's this uh getting back to the point that the so that their version what happens is society says i'll give you i have my version of love and I hope it's good enough because um, really it wasn't good enough because people didn't know how to define love. How do you define love? An example of the confusion is people say, I love everybody. And then they, the next breath they say, abortion is my right. You know, I want to love everybody, but let's not love the unborn child. Are you cool? You can come and punch me later. I don't think anybody will hear. It wouldn't look good in the foyer anyway. Anyway, 
uh, the, the world without God are trying to work out what is right or wrong and what's beautiful and what's ugly, and they can't work it out because they've rejected the first four commandments of loving God, and they're trying to work out the next six commandments in their own way. In order to live the good life, abundant life, we need to honor God first, and then in the light of placing God first, it's amazing how we learn to love other people in a wholesome and wholesome way. Because they're made in the image of God as you and I are. So that's the importance. So we see that there's a lens of grace. We see that there is a lens of freedom. We see there's a, a lens of, uh, of a life, abundant life that He wants us to live. And, and we've got to look at the Ten Commandments through that. Um, we're going to actually, at this moment, I'm going to ask those who are doing the communion to come and bring the communion and hand it out this morning. I'm going to ask the team if they would come as well. I know this is all a little bit theological, but he's okay. Uh, because it, it grounds us in the reasoning of why we're actually living. Do you know this, 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 the world itself, if there's anything good about this world, it all comes from these simple tense, um, principles and instructions and guidance that God has placed in our lives. If there's anything civil, all the good things, man, there's people who don't even acknowledge God, and yet they're good people because they live by these set of principles that they don't even really acknowledge. Where does it come from? Well, it was set up centuries ago. Why should I love my wife? Thank you. Because God loved me. You know, why do I, you know, why do I, why am I not satisfied with what I have? Well, it's often because we haven't put something first, put God first. It's amazing. You know, it's just these simple principles of giving, um, giving to God and putting Him first. Could you just... In a moment, we'll, we'll eat and drink together. See, when we look at the Ten Commandments through the grace, and we come now to the context of, of what Jesus put into place with his disciples before he, that night before he was then killed the next day and died on a cross, and he had this Last Supper, or whatever you want to call it, Passover meal, it was all of those things. But after the meal, Jesus, he, 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 he took the bread and he took the, the um, wine, it was, for us it's grape juice. But he tried, to, he tried to help the disciples understand that he loves them ever before. He, he loves them ever before they did anything good. That grace, that was what it was all about. And that's what we need to look at the Ten Commandments through. But that's what communion's about, understanding that Christ came for us. That he loved me before I ever, he demonstrated his love towards me before I ever acknowledged to him. And if there's one thing we can celebrate in the communion cup and the, and the bread, is to think that we have such a gracious God that reaches out to humanity and offers us eternal life through belief in him. His grace reached to us first. The other thing about communion is that to understand that the best version of yourself, Jesus came, He suffered on a cross, 
He was whipped, he was beaten, he was nailed to that cross for the forgiveness of sins. So he, he was enslaved in a sense on that cross so that we could be free. Okay, I'll say it again. He was enslaved so that we could be free. He took the punishment so we didn't have to take it. And if there's, we not only need to look at the Ten Commandments through the lens of freedom, we need to look at the communion today. Is we're free, we're, but we're free to live with those principles in our lives and it truly gives us great freedom because He suffered for us. He is the one who, who was enslaved. He was the one that was arrested that night. He was the one who had his beard pulled. Not me, or not that I've got a beard. He was the one that was whipped. It wasn't me. And he did it so that we would be free in Christ. And the last thing is, is that we, we can look at the um, communion today through the lens of abundant life. You know, Jesus came. He suffered and died so that we could live and have hope. He was beaten so that we could have a future. He was whipped so that we didn't have to, to face those type of things. He, he did so that we would have a life to live. He died so that we may live. He ultimately overcome death, which is the good news, isn't it? And now he, he was resurrected. And he says the same for us. And his death and resurrection is so symbolic of when we come to Christ, we could leave behind our old life. Death physical death still has a hold on us. We're going to die physically, but spiritual death is not going to happen. We're going to have life for eternity. That's the incredible thing. And so as we come to communion today, can we just for a moment be reflective that His grace is abundant, His life is abundant, He wants us to live. And the truth is, is that His freedom, He gives us because of what He did for us. To live within His principles of the framework of how He wants us to live is incredible freedom, and Jesus came for all of those things. Can we stand? I just want us to take take that little uh, piece of bread just for a moment. I just want to do it a little differently. Just, it's not bread; it is a tasteless piece of cardboard. Let's be honest. <laughs> but it's, but let's just realize the reality is is that this little piece of wafer represents. A man whose body went through excruciating pain for humanity, for you and me. It's, it's symbolic, isn't it? So it's more than just what we think it is. I know what it is, but it's Christ's body. Because Jesus, on the night he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, he took the bread. It would have been a big loaf. He would have broken a bit off and maybe passed it, the loaf onto the other disciples. They took a bit and they ate it. They, they didn't quite understand what Jesus was trying to instigate here, but they did later on. But he says, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. So is Jesus like, just remember me? I want you. Is he self-absorbed? Does he want all our praise? No, no, no. He wasn't trying to. He was just trying to help us realize that your life is more than just your ego and pride. It's him in us that makes our life. And it, that's why we need to humbly come before him. Say, thank you, Jesus, for your body that was broken for me. Oh, I have life because of that. So let me pray. Father, I thank you for your body that was broken. I thank you that, Jesus, your body was broken, so mine wasn't. Your life was taken so that I might have life. We thank you that you, you did this before we even acknowledged you. 
And so we acknowledge your love and kindness and mercy and grace. And we eat and eat right now. Let's eat together. And just hold off on the drink because I want to bring something. Let's eat first. So after he'd eaten of the bread, Jesus took the cup and he lifted it up and he said, you know what, you guys, and all that were there, he said, this is representative of my blood and it represents a new covenant or a new promise in my blood because the blood that I will shed is the only thing that can wash away your sin. It's a bit, it's an interesting picture, isn't it? That blood applied to our life can wash us clean as white as snow. And I, I know it's a, it's a metaphor, it's an analogy, it's all those things, but it's the truth. Nothing but the blood of our God, Jesus Christ, could wipe away our sins. And he says, it says in the Bible, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Jesus on that night, he was betrayed, on the night he was arrested, on the night he was crucified, he was doing it all for us so that we may have a future and a hope. And so he says, remember the covenant or the promise I've made with you. Thankfully, he's, there's a promise he makes with you today. The promise is for eternity through Jesus. So let's drink now in remembrance of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the reality of Christ. Thank you because you came, that you gave your best when I was at my worst. And I thank you for that. We're grateful for it. And in response to that, I want to be obedient. I think we all do. I, I want to live obedient to you. I don't want to live obedient because so that you would love me because you've loved me before that. But I want to live obedient to you because I'm grateful for the love that you've shown me already. You are a heavenly father to every one of us. And, you, and if you're not, you want to be. So we thank you today. And we praise you and honor you today. We give you the respect that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.